Kane, you brought on another Gophers podcaster, your competition. What are you doing? Now we got Ryan Burns on. It's going to be a great one. Don't miss this show. You are locked on Golden Gophers. No matter what we're going to do here, we're just going to keep rowing. Your daily podcast on the Minnesota Uh, Golden Gophers. Whatever turns out, we're just going to keep rowing. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We're just going to keep rowing, keep rowing, and keep rowing. You're listening to Locked On Golden Gophers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Kane Robb, and we are joined by a guest, one of my favorite people to talk Gophers football with. He's a Heisman voter, which is a fun fact for any icebreaker. Plus, he hosts the Gopher Gridiron Radio Podcast and the Parent of Spare Pod, and apparently can't say the word milk, as I saw going rampant on Gophers Twitter. So welcome, Ryan Burns, to the show. How's it going, Ryan? Uh, it's going well. Had a nice uh, tall glass of milk this morning. So uh, <laughs> we're all saying the same thing, and I will stand on that grave. <laughs> well, I don't know if I can get there with you, but my best man at my wedding also says it like that. So you're not alone, actually. I can actually confirm that. It's the weirdest thing, but we're going to talk some Gophers football today. We're going to talk some spring ball. We've got some conference superlatives, which I think that's going to be the highlight of today's show. And then we'll talk a little bit of the 2023 season. Now, I know, or I at least heard you had a stomach bug for the spring game, so I didn't get to see you there, but you got to watch from the comforts of your own home. And I am always one who enjoys a good Burns clapback on Twitter. Now, there were some good ones on spring game day. And I got to ask, how much do you love the spring overreactions from the fan base that time of year? Look, I know everybody wants to be able to have strong opinions, but for me, the spring game is just one glorified practice of the 15 that the team had. And so we're talking about like, uh, again, I don't know what my University of Minnesota education math would be here, but somewhere (laughs) around like seven, eight percent is just that spring game. Now, I know it's the culmination of a long three, four, five weeks of practice, but I just don't try to take away too much from the spring game. Now, I would also say, I think offensively, you got to see what they want to be. And that's where they want to pass the ball. Now, I know everybody is so stuck in their ways and thinks, well, Minnesota is going to be another service academy offense. Here we go. (laughs) It's going to be Minnesota in the service academies. If I can make anything evidently clear, as I'm sure you have through the last months, This is a team that I think is going to pass more than we've seen a Fleck offense pass in his time at Minnesota. Because why? Because that's where their strengths lie. Ethan Kelly, McManus, and the pass catchers are the strengths of this offense, Mm -hmm. whereas last year it was Mo Ibrahim in the offensive line. And I think they've kind of flip-flopped between quarterback and pass catchers uh, to running back and offensive line. I think there's more question marks at those two positions. But I was excited to see Zach Evans and Darius Taylor, the two freshman running backs, actually healthy actually getting meaningful carries uh, and you're able to kind of see some of their skill sets second straight spring game that Zach Evans turned some heads which I think is good because Minnesota's trying to search for someone not named Sean Tyler to get carries this fall I know Bryce Williams is there but I just try not to overreact one too much one way or another to the spring game like by individual performances I'll say but I think you could start to see from offensive concepts they want to pass more and I think it was good to see that connection building between Ethan and Elijah Spencer, who I think was certainly a hit from the transfer portal there. But I'm just excited to 
continue to, to beat the drum, I'll say that this team is going to pass and everybody needs to calm down. Right. I mean, I, I'm right there with you. I'm in the same mindset. It's pretty, it seems like it's plain and simple. It's going to happen whether you want to believe or not. Now I feel like people get caught up in their feelings of, well, we say that every year and then it's not going to happen. Well, we don't lose an all American running back every year. So I'm definitely right there with you. Uh, But when it, comes to those wide receivers i know the room looks super deep it looks super talented but are you at all surprised at how quickly it came together or it felt like it came together this spring like you said that connection with elijah spencer looks good it looks like daniel jackson hasn't really missed a beat and has maybe even just been getting more confident in his game and that's without seeing brevin or chris ottman bell all spring so were you surprised at how quickly it all came together I think they've tried to completely revamp that that wide receiver room in the last 18 months and just the pass catching core overall. And I think they've done a really good job. And that's where you mentioned it. We didn't get to see Chris this spring. Brevin was also out with a, a shoulder injury that both are expected to be fully healthy for fall camp. But I asked Matt Simon, and I think you were there that day. Is this the deepest receiver room that you think you've had? And Minnesota's wide receiver coach agreed. Now he said, and I agree with him, that it's probably not the most top-end talent like 2019 had with Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson. And, again, they had a lot of good ancillary pieces there like Demetrius Douglas and Chris Hotman-Bell, who's, again, Chris Hotman-Bell, now year seven of college football. <laughs> but I think this is, again, if you want to just even run through it, it's Daniel Jackson, Elijah Spencer, Chris Hotman-Bell. Um, you know, you have Corey Crooms there in the slot, Brevin Span forward. So if we're talking about Lamecki Brockington and Kristen Hoskins being wide receiver six and wide receiver seven, I think this is a pretty deep receiver room. Now, I think it's going to be on Greg Harbo and Matt Simon to each individual week figure out who you want to feature because some weeks it'll be Brevin, some weeks it'll be Elijah Spencer. Uh, some weeks it'll be another pass catcher, but it's going to be they have to figure out how to get all these guys touches because it's as deep as it is. I mean, you still have to find a way to get them the ball. But, you know, I was a little bit surprised to see. Again, you don't know necessarily what you're getting from the portal from time to time. But I think if Fleck and staff have shown anything here, when they take somebody from the portal more times than not, I think 80 percent of the time, at least they're usually a pretty big hit. And so that's where I think with Elijah Spencer and Corey Crooms in that wide receiver room, I think that Minnesota definitely got better this spring. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Now, kind of sticking with the offense before I kind of wrap some of these up with defensive questions, I feel like a lot of the worries from the fan base in general have been more geared towards positional defensive grooms. But were there any concerns from you on the offensive side of ball this spring? Not anything that we're going to overreact to, of course, but was there anything that maybe they were lacking depth in or just things you wanted to see more of this spring? Uh, I'd say, again, like uh, last season, running back and offensive line were the strengths. This season, I mm-hmm. think they're the question marks because it's Sean Tyler, the Western Michigan running back that they took two time all Mac, but people don't realize that he's only got 20 or more carries in three collegiate games in his career. This isn't Mo Ibrahim where they're going to trot him out 35 times to get carries. He's going to get 15 to 18 touches on a given game. Now, even if Minnesota throws the ball 28 times a game, that means they're still running at 35 times on average. So you're still looking to figure out who is going to get that remaining 20-ish carries. Is it going to be Bryce Williams? Is it going to be Zach Evans, Darius Taylor? And that's where Zach and Darius were banged up for most of the spring. Now they were able Mm -hmm. to go in the spring game and they showed out well, 
but you're trying to figure out is Bryce Williams going to have more of a, an expanded role than a third down back is Zach Evans and Darius Taylor in years one and two ready to go. I mean, they still, I think they still need to figure that out there. And then on the offensive line, I mean, I, th- I think that they feel pretty good about left tackle with Ariante Ursary, Quinn Carroll at right guard, which I think is going to be a great move for him inside. But they're still trying to figure out the moving pieces. I mean, this was the most amount of moving pieces I've seen on a Brian Callahan offensive line with the first unit ever in a spring. I mean, they were rotating eight, nine guys pretty consistently. And so I still think that they need to figure some things out on that offensive line because they're going to have to be able to protect Ethan if he's going to be throwing the ball that often. Right, right. And I think you brought up a really good point in there, too, that it's not zero to 100 when you're saying that they're going to pass more, they're going to pass the ball more. We're not saying that's all they're going to do. That's This is going to be an air raid style offense where we just throw, 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 throw. They're still going to run the ball a good 30, 35 times a game. So I'm I'm just going to double down on that one before people jump up in the mentions all season. You said they were going to throw. I still see 30 carries. (laughs) But um, I, I don't think people realize that in an, in an average college football game, I would say. Now, I know P.J. likes to drain the clock, and it's very slow-paced. Minnesota is one of the slowest-paced offenses, or at least they were under Kirk Sharaka. They still run, as an offense, probably 65 plays a game. So if you're throwing the ball 20, 30 times a game, which would be a lot for Minnesota standards, the math would work out. You're still running the ball 35 times a game at least. So – you're still they're still going to run the ball. This isn't going to be the Jeff Brom air raid uh, now coming to Huntington Bank Stadium near you. <laughs> uh, but I still think it's going to feel a little bit like that, considering many fans are used to them throwing somewhere between 17 and 20 times a game. I would be shocked if they're not throwing the ball at least 25 times a game. All right, so let's switch it over to the defense a little bit. I know you've got a good relationship with Coach Rossi, and I think we've seen firsthand now that Coach can coach some of the best defenses in the conference and the nation. But are there any or positional areas of concern aside, what makes Joe Rossi so capable of making this team yet another highly ranked defense in 2023? Well, I think there's more talent on this defense in 2023 than there was on 2022. And you look at what they did last season with only one draft or two draft picks on defense, but it wasn't like, uh, you know, they're bona fide stars. It was Terrell Smith who finally put it all together in his final year. And then Jordan Howden just has a culmination of it finally clicking. Now, again, they still have Tyler Newbin back there who could have been a draft mm-hmm. pick uh, this, this past year. But you look at that front seven last year, they weren't anything to write home about. I mean, I would argue that 22 defensive line room was the most underachieving room in the Fleck era of any position group, there was no excuse for them to not be able to generate more pressure than they did last year with the bodies that they had there. Now, there, I think there's a reason that Brick Haley is now gone, Winston Boudier and, and Dennis Dott and Carter are now in on that defensive line position. But I think for Rossi, he knows how to figure out what each position group does well and then design his defense around that. You know, I think if two years ago they weren't very good at corner, well, they probably didn't play a lot of press man that year. Last year, they felt pretty comfortable that with Justin Wally and Terrell Smith out there, they could get away with some more one-on-one opportunities, which allowed Rossi to be more creative in sending five or six guys trying to generate pressure to make up for the lack of D-line. So that's where I think with this 23 unit, just like offensively, you know, I talk about how the strengths and the weaknesses are going to flip from year to year. I think that's going to be that way on defense. I think the defensive line is probably going to be one of the strengths of this defense. 
And I think the corner room, which was a strength last year, is certainly going to be the biggest question mark. Now, I think safety is going to be just fine. Linebacker, they got to figure out who's also going to be playing alongside Cody Lindenberg. But as the strengths and the weaknesses continue to evolve in a given year, I think Rossi has shown that whatever the strengths and weaknesses are, he knows it. He knows how to design a defense and a defensive game plan that week to make that Again, Minnesota is one of the best under Joe Rossi at getting off the field on third down and essentially limiting explosive plays. You know, whatever year it is, whatever the this, the personnel is, they've shown that if they can do those two things, they're going to be a pretty good defense. So it's going to be on Rossi again here in 23 and with another kind of different style of defense to figure that out. I'm right there with you. I think that's my favorite thing about what I've seen from Coach Joe Rossi is the fact that he doesn't try to stick players in a box and say, this is how you run my defense. He definitely shapes it to the personnel that he has, and that can't go understated. And also, I got to give you mad props for getting Coach Winston's last name with, like, (laughs) no pause, no hiccup. You just went for it and got through it and kept moving on. Well, it helps when I remember talking to Winston when he committed out of high school. I was still in college. And I remember asking him, I was in my apartment. I go, how in the world do I pronounce your last name? I I don't even, I'm still not even sure that I get it right, but I can assure you, I say it with confidence now because Winston Diladi Boudere is going to be a name that I I didn't know I was going to have to learn at the time. And here I am 12 years later, still having to know it. (laughs) I've just defaulted to coach Debo now. And I think I'm going to stick with that one. So I give all the props to you on that one. (laughs) Now we're going to move to some big 10 conference superlatives. But first, a word from our friends over at Built Bar. Built Bar is that protein bar that is power-packed with about 17 grams of protein, but it's only about 130 calories. It's good for you, and it actually tastes good. It's not chalky. It's not anything of the sort. So definitely head on over to Built.com and use promo code LOCKEDON15 for 15% off your order. And if you don't want to wait, you don't want to wait until you have to get it mailed to you and everything like that, you can check them out over at Walmart or Sam's Club in the pharmacy section. Again, head on over to built.com. Use promo code LOCKEDON15. Now, we're going to move over. We're going to talk some conference superlatives. I've got a couple rules for you on this one. So we're going to give one answer of a team within the conference and some reasoning why behind it. We'll try our best not to repeat unless it needs to truly be emphasized. And then... Um, We're going to have seven team-focused superlatives and three more individual superlatives. So this is only going to be for the 2023 season. So the first superlative I have is who will be the most shocking team in the conference. And I've also written my own answers down too. So if you ever need time to think, I can jump in there too. All right. Are we talking West or just Big Ten overall? Whole Big Ten. Whole thing. And you said it's most shocking. Most shocking, good or bad. Okay. Uh, look, I like Wisconsin and I like Luke Fickle, but I think once it's the fourth straight year that Wisconsin is favored to win the West, and it's, I think it's going to be the fourth straight year where they don't win the West. I don't understand their number of nine, um, which is the Vegas over-under that I've seen. I think the national media is going to be shocked at – the, the the step back that that Wisconsin defense is going to take. I think everybody is just assuming that it's going to remain the way that it has in a top 25 defense, top 15 maybe. Well, they're losing Jim Leonard. I think if anybody knows me, they know my affinity for Jim Leonard. And I 
how highly I think of him as a defensive coordinator. They lose Keanu Benton. They lose Nick Herbig. Uh, I think John Torchio was a very good player for them as well. I just think that that defense is going to be only above average. And if they're not a, a great defense, and while that offense may be a lot better, I think, again, I think Iowa should be probably be the slight favorite in the West, not Wisconsin. But I think it's going to be a little shocking in terms of what happens if Wisconsin has a good year but only wins seven games. So I think the national media is going to be a little shocked. That it's going to take time for that Wisconsin team to finally figure out what they're doing. Because, again, year one head coaches in the Big Ten, I don't know how many of them have won nine, ten games in the last ten years. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. My most shocking team I wrote down was Penn State. I think they're going to be better than what people anticipate, uh, which is kind of hard to do when you play in a con- or a division with Ohio State and Michigan. But I think this might be the year where they catch one of those teams. Maybe not both of them in the same year, but I think they have one of the best offensive linemen in the entire country coming back. They have a highly talented young quarterback, kind of similar to what we saw from Ethan last year, where they kind of kept the reins close and they didn't really give him a whole lot of opportunities. And so I think that they always have that NFL talent waiting in the wings and they possibly have a top three running back room or duo in the country. So I've got Penn State kind of surprising some people this year. Now, the next superlative I have overall is the most stagnant team in the conference or more of the same. Well, to go back to your Penn State point first, I I like that pick because Penn State smacked everybody in the mouth, not named Ohio State and not named Michigan last Mm -hmm. year. They were really good. I mean, they were a legitimate, really good team, a top 10 team in college football last year. They just weren't in that elite tier with the Ohio States and the Michigans of the world. And I, I like that pick because I think this could be the year that James Franklin finally gets over the hump. Stagnant, I would say Northwestern. I know that everybody's still waiting for this glow up to happen that they saw in three, five, six, seven years ago, where it would be Northwestern has a horrible season and they bounce back somehow and win nine, 10 games and win the West. I think that Northwestern program is just stagnant now. I just think that there isn't a ton of talent there. And I'm very interested to see what happens if Fitz wins another three, four games this fall. Now, I know he's the beloved child of that university, and he's done a lot of good things. He's won the West multiple times, but I just look at that team and the amount of talent that they have there. I'm not too bullish on them uh, once again. I was right there with you. I actually typed in Northwestern, and then I ended up giving myself a second one just in case you said Northwestern. So I'm going to run with Indiana here. I think that they they had like 23 players transfer out since November. doesn't seem like there were a lot of – coaching philosophy changes or big additions. I think they brought in an offensive line coach. So I think we're going to see a lot of the same, maybe a four-ish win team again. But the next superlative I have kind of ties in with most shocking, but it's going to be most overrated. Now you have already gave us Wisconsin for most shocking. So what do you got different team for me on the most overrated? Oh, that's a great question. Again, I feel like I know the West better than I know the East. Um, Again, I, I would say Wisconsin. I think most teams in the West are pretty appropriately rated right now. Um, I'm sure there'll be an underrated one, and I think I know what my answer will be to that. But I, I want to see if Maryland can actually put it together because it's going to be the final year of the Tunga Viola brother. They've, they've shown glimpses. Like I remember watching their game against Michigan last year. They hung in that game 
for all 60 minutes against what I thought was a really good, I mean, it was a college football playoff team. Now, Tonga Viola is back once again. Can Loxley finally put it together and have a season that elevates them into that clear second tier in the East? If not, I, I think we know what the ceiling is for Mike Loxley at Maryland. That's a great pick. I, I went with Wisconsin. Uh, I think you would have gone with Wisconsin if I didn't ask you to pick another team. See, I that's the thing. Like, Wisconsin fans are going to think, again, Minnesota guy hates yep. Wisconsin. I don't hate Wisconsin this year. I just think no. a nine-win number, I just don't see how they meet that more than 25% of the time. Right. I just think that the, the respect that they get nationally sometimes, I don't quite understand it. You're one head coach, no Jim Leonard, Herbig, and, and those defensive attention, uh, you know, sub, subtractions. I just think I'd feel a lot more comfortable with them at like a seven and a half number than I would a nine number. So right. I don't it's, hate Wisconsin. I just hate their number that Vegas thinks. Right. It's not a saying that they're not going to be good. And it's not a saying that these coaching hires were bad. In fact, right. in long term, I think they might be really good for the program itself. But you got to take into the fact of they have new coaching with offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and it's not similar philosophies to bring in. They're mm. completely different. So the way the offensive line plays, the small details, that's all going to come into factor. And you don't get live reps, full speed reps in spring or fall. Like you're never going to see flat out live. Someone's hitting the kill action until you hit week one. And if you're playing behind and that's the first time you see it, you might run into some issues with penalties, some issues with miscommunications, rush plays and everything like that. So I'm right there with you. It's set up to not be anywhere near nine. It could be more towards six or seven. And that could still be seen as a positive in a year one. I agree. I mean, it's just year one of a Big Ten West coach. You look at it historically, Minnesota was horrible um, in that first year with Fleck. And I think Wisconsin has more talent than what PJ had in that year one. But I also say, I want to know who the defensive playmakers are there. They've got a really good, uh, excuse me, a linebacker returning by the name of Moses. I know he's really good. But I look at that defensive line where Nick Herbig and Keanu Benton were so good for them in generating pressure. And I look at their projected starters, and I look at what they did last season. They all had PFF grades under 60, meaning they were slightly below average. Now, do college football players get better year over year? Certainly. But I just want to know, in year one of a system without some of your top defensive playmakers, is Wisconsin? I think Wisconsin's going to have to score 24, 28 points to win every game. And I think that's going to be a little bit of a shock for uh, Wisconsin fans. Now, are they certainly capable of doing that with the amount of transfers that they've taken offensively? Certainly. But I just think that that brand of Wisconsin football is going to look a lot different. And I think it's going to take a little bit of time. All right, we're going to move past that superlative because I already know the Wisconsin fans are going to go absolutely rage mode in the comments. I did a show on Luke Fickle being overrated, and I think I got almost 100 comments of just purely Badger fans just going crazy. So we're going to go to the most under-the-radar team in the conference next year. I would say Illinois. Um, I love their front seven. I think they have the best front seven in the Big Ten potentially, and I think Iowa's is up there certainly. But what Illinois is returning on the defensive line, they have some monsters there. And they have a ton of good players that are going to be able to generate pressure. Now, I know Ryan Walters, their defensive coordinator from last season, is no longer there. 
I know they lost their quarterback. Chase Brown is no longer there as well. Obviously, they're star running back, but they play a hard-nosed brand of football under Brett Bielema. And I look at their over-under win total of six and a half. Now, I don't expect them to have a nine-win season, perhaps, but I know that if you have a really good front seven and you can generate pressure, you are going to be in every single football game. And I just think that that front seven for Illinois is really good. That that front um, with you know Newton up there for for the Fighting Illini is tremendous. And I think they feel really good about their offensive line as well. So if you can win in the trenches in the West, which I think that Illinois can, you're going to be in every football game. So if we've learned anything about Brett Bielema's time in the West, whether at Wisconsin or in Illinois, it's don't sleep on the Illini. I'm going to run with Rutgers on this one. I find myself being a little bit shocked by that one, but I wouldn't be surprised if you look back at the end of the year and you see that they won six games and they got bowl eligible simply because they they were in a few games last year that they had no business being in. I think they stuck around with Ohio State for a while, and now you're getting – we know Kirk Scirocco. We know the, the style he likes to play, but I feel like it just has more sense to it. It's more – patient and it might not all click in year one with him there but I think it'll be better than what they put on the field offensively last year so I wouldn't be surprised if they can steal maybe one or two more wins yeah um I mean to your point if Rutgers gets to a bowl game this year that's a hell of a job for Greg Schiano mm-hmm. because of how difficult the east is now I'm not particularly high on like Michigan State or Another one of those programs, but they still have a bunch of good programs in the East. Your crossover games against the West are obviously always tough, but if you can win six games at Rutgers, I mean, in this day and age of college football in 2023, that should be applauded. (laughs) All right, we're going to go to the more individual ones to wrap up the superlative parts. We'll keep it quick on these, but best newcomer. It can be player, it can be coach, but who will be the best newcomer in the Big Ten? Who would you say? It gives me a little time to think. Yeah, I ran with Jeff Sims, Nebraska quarterback. Um, I think that people have been really infatuated with Anthony Richardson and his style of play over this draft season. And I think Jeff Sims has a similar ability, but really didn't have the right coaching over at Georgia Tech. Now, I don't think he's going to absolutely take the college world by storm, but I think he'll make Nebraska look put together. Um Casey Thompson did decent with that last year, although he suffered the injury and there was some some inconsistency. But I think Jeff Sims overall, Rule likes to play with speed at the skill position. So over the course of the year, I think he could put up some impressive numbers. I'm going to take a cop out and say I'm just incredibly interested to see all of the quarterbacks in the West. Because I think, thinking off the top of my head here, I think most if not every school in the West is going to have a brand new starter. It's going to be Ethan Kaliak, Manis in Minnesota, Tana Mordecai mm-hmm. at Wisconsin, Cade McNamara at Iowa. I think Ben Bryant will be the new starter at Northwestern. Um, Illinois will have a brand new starter there. I just think that it's going to be so interesting to see, and you mentioned Jeff Sims at Nebraska, which of these newcomers at the quarterback position can elevate their team to a West title? Because I think mo- – I think – Every fan base in the West would say, well, I feel good enough about my my quarterback. Now, I know Iowa fans think Cade McNamara is going to save them, and maybe he will. But I just think whichever quarterback can actually elevate their offense to that next level is probably going to be the one that wins the West. That's a great point. And then we'll close the superlatives right here with maybe not 
Big Ten coach of the year, but maybe most improved or most impressive coaching year in the Big Ten? Oh, boy. Who would you say? So I ran with James Franklin on this one just because I do think that Penn State is going to be able to compete up there with an Ohio State or a Michigan. I think a lot of it relies on the young quarterback, but I think they have the pieces in place to make some noise. So I went with James Franklin kind of as an easy one for me. Yeah, that's who I would probably take. Um, You know, I haven't spent a ton of time talking about Nebraska, but I'll say this. I think Matt Rule is going to be a very good hire for them. Uh, I think this is a year where Nebraska finally gets back to a bowl game because I believe the stat, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Nebraska is the last Power 5 team to not play in a bowl game right now. Oh, gosh. It's a clear uh, uh, distinction that it's Nebraska has the longest – streak without a bowl. And I think Nebraska, it's never been about talent for them. I really do think that. Now, I think that they have some ways to go yet on the offensive and defensive lines to be able to compete consistently in the West. And I'm sure Matt Rule is addressing that. But if Nebraska can just get to a bowl game this year, I don't think it'll be Big Ten Coach of the Year for Matt Rule. But just getting that fan base to realize that they're going in the right direction, which I think they are under Rule, will certainly be in the step in the right way. I don't hate it. I think that you may bring up some good points there. And I didn't know that stat, but if it holds true, wow. I mean, I see a lot of Nebraska fans. Since like 2015 or 2016, because it, it predated um, their previous coach, and who I can't think of right now for whatever reason. I can see his face, but it's I mean, been a long time since Nebraska should. has even been at a bowl game. Now, I know that we in the media love to give Nebraska fans and national media a hard time for the amount of times that in that era that they were put in the preseason top 25. Well, just get to a bowl game first. And I think expectations with that fan base are realistic, but if they can just get to a bowl game, I think that Matt rule is showing them in year one, they're going in the right way. Right. If they get to a bowl game, build the statue, it's ready to go. <laughs> but yeah. let's, let's wrap this one up with some 2023 talk. Just a few questions on this one, but I feel like Gophers fans are really hesitant for next year because of the difficult schedule that's coming up. Now, when you look at the schedule, what would you say is the biggest area of concern for the Gophers, in your opinion, if they don't address what aspect, then it will likely be a rough season? I mean, they got to figure out corner yet. I think they've tried to do that with the Elon transfer, Trayvon Jones. We'll see who they also can add here in probably the next 96 hours from the portal as well. But if, again, for the amount of teams that are going to have brand new quarterbacks and Wisconsin is going to be throwing the ball a lot more, just like Minnesota will, if Minnesota can't get consistent corner play, I'm thinking about going to Chapel. I mean, I'll be in Chapel Hill when they take on Drake May in North Carolina. I mean, they're going to be throwing the ball a ton there. (laughs) It's going to be weird to say, you know, Minnesota's probably going to have to, to score 30 points to win. Now, I say that in the same breath and know that Minnesota didn't allow more than 20 points in I think the last seven games last year, but 23 is a different year, a different defense. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's just going to come down to how for the offense, it's going to ride and die with Ethan Kelly McManus. And I'll continue to say that Ethan has the ability to have them up 14, three at the end of the first quarter. And he's got the ability to put them down 14, three at the end of the first quarter with a couple picks. It's going to be a learning year for him. Mm-hmm. I know that I am probably the highest in the room on Ethan. I think he's going to eventually be the first gopher quarterback drafted since the 60s. But there's going to be a learning curve. It's going to be he's going to learn this year. And from game one to game 13, I think you'll see he'll figure out what throws he can get away with, throws he can't, 
But I think as Minnesota continues to go through the learning process with a brand new quarterback, there's going to be ups and downs. I think you'll have an opportunity to win in Chapel Hill if Ethan can elevate you. You'll have an opportunity to win in Iowa City for the first time in 20 years because I think about that game, Minnesota has won every aspect, in my mind, of the Iowa game the last two years except the scoreboard. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand that the scoreboard is the only thing that matters at the end of the day, but is this the year that they can get over the hump? And then obviously you got Ohio State and Michigan there as well. There's a reason why the number is six and a half or seven in a lot of different places. But to me, it comes down to if Minnesota is under that six and a half or seven total, Ethan probably had a lot more learning experiences, I'll say, uh, than what people were anticipating, including myself. Plus the defense probably took a step back. But I also think that we've seen now, I know the schedule is difficult, but we've seen that Minnesota hit the over on that Vegas total, I think, the last three full seasons in 19, 21, and 22. I mean, I, I think seven and a half is probably where I would set it instead of six and a half. Mm-hmm. But we'll see if, uh, again, I know I'm usually the highest in the room, but it's tending to be. I don't think this is a ceiling year for Minnesota. I think 2024 will be that with a lot of returning players offensively and defensively. But 23 is going to be an important year in the Fleck era here because if they can win eight games, I think that would be an outstanding season for them. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Shifting it a little bit, you talked about the cornerbacks uh, and whatnot, but what are you thinking of these gopher transfer additions since spring ball has ended? Any that stand out as potential major different difference makers or is it more kind of depth and rotational guys? Uh, I know that I, I'm a big guy with Daniel House on Jack Henderson, uh, someone that is going to be playing that Flip Dixon role from last season where you'll see him when Minnesota goes nickel on those first and second downs, essentially being your de facto third linebacker. He was incredibly productive at Southeastern Louisiana, and you didn't know how it was going to transition from the FCS to the FBS and, more importantly, the Big Ten. But he absolutely looked like he belonged. And all the reports I got from when we weren't there as a media group were – Jack Henderson is a fit. I mean, I think there's some talk that maybe Jack Henderson will be better than what we saw from Flip Dixon last year. Now, I think that some of my sources tend to be a little bit more optimistic than I am at times, and that's okay. (laughs) Sometimes it's their job, but I know that I'm a part of the Henderson hive where I think Jack Henderson is someone that can, you know, maybe be a little bit better in terms of in passing situations than we saw from Flip Dixon. He's a good player in the run game as well. But I think Jack Henderson is someone that can provide something. And then I know that this staff is also very optimistic that Trayvon Jones, the Elon uh, graduate transfer corner that they took, can potentially compete for starting reps from game one. That's why you bring in a graduate transfer. Now I know maybe the bar to, to clear isn't tremendously high, considering he just got to get over two second-year guys and Rylan Kelly and Tariq Watson. But if he can provide stability there, along with whoever the other corner transfer will be, I feel a lot better about this defense knowing that those corner positions and that slot position can be locked down along with Tyler Noob and obviously patrolling back there. I love it. I love it. All right. The final thing we're going to talk about, this is how we're going to wrap the show up. Now, Gophers loyalists know that you've had your guys, none bigger than Brevin Spanford, who makes your Mm -hmm. heart go pitter patter. We all know it. We all know it. But Mm -hmm. if you had to pick, Three Gophers this season that would be your guys for 23. Who would they be? And then you get one shot outside of those three on a guy you might be a year early on. I'll say I know already the guy I'm going to be a year early on is Ethan. 
I want to be the highest in the room on Ethan, but I also am realistic to know he's going to have growing pains. I've spent most of the show talking about how um, I know there's going to be growing pains, but I know that there are so many people behind the scenes that are so bullish on him and the people I trust. Now, I also think that as I was for many years with Brevin, I was probably a year or two too early. And so I would say I think 2024 is the year that Ethan Kaliak Manis really starts to open eyes but he's the one I'll be probably too early on. In terms of who are my guys for this year, I would say Elijah Spencer is one, uh, someone that I think competes and for that outside starting position with Chris Ottman Bell. Now we'll see where Chris's knee at, is at in the in fall camp. We'll see what percentage of the old player he used to be. He actually is here in 2023 off an ACL and meniscus surgery, uh, but he was so good at every practice we were at throughout the spring. Now, I know that the corner competition wasn't great, and so maybe that made him look a little bit better than what he actually is. But you look at the production he had at Charlotte. He's proven it from an early age, mm -hmm. and he's only getting better, in my mind, is from practice one to practice 15. Uh, if we're going to go defensively, I would say Devin Eastern is someone. Now, again, I'm probably going to be a year too early there, too. But it's going to be Minnesota needs to get more pressure from their defensive line, and I think they will, but specifically D-tackle. Trill Carter didn't get it done last year as the three technique. He didn't generate enough pressure on a, on a given basis, and that's where Devin Eastern is going to have a plenty of opportunity to do so. He looks the part now going into his third year, and he looks like a young Rashid Hagman. Now, I don't want to put those expectations on him because – it's not fair in year three, and I'm probably a year too early there, but I am a big Devin Eastern believer. And then Cody Lindenberg, he has been my guy for a long time. I mean, <laughs> I was one of the guys that was standing for him saying that I thought back in high school, it was Cody Lindenberg and Caden Johnson. And I said that, and I still believe it, uh, that I think Cody Lindenberg will have a better college career um, than Caden Johnson. Now we'll see. It's a big year for both guys. I think now in year four, you saw Cody Lindenberg really start to make plays in those last six games, I think, once he got the opportunity last fall. Now he's the big leader of that room. But I am always the highest in the room in Cody Lindenberg. I think he's going to be an NFL guy here in a couple of years. The side, the speed, the athleticism, sideline to sideline guy, and he's incredibly smart. So those three guys I'm very excited about here for 2023. I love it. I wrote down my three and we literally have two of the same. So Elijah Spencer, Devin Eastern were both there for me. And then I put Zach Evans as my third. Sure. And the two early one I have is Anthony Smith. I have high, high expectations and love for him. I think he's going to be a baller, but I don't know how much opportunity he'll get this year. I think he'll be worked in there, but just how much is the biggest question. All right, Ryan, it's been great. Let's let's wrap this one up. Let the people know where they can find you. I don't know if you've heard, but because you're a podcast host, we're supposed to be enemies and at war. I've heard that from a few people. And I'm like, uh, no, that's that's my guy. So let them know where they can find you and all your work. Well, again, I don't do podcasts as frequently as you do. And uh, <laughs> again, if you want go for content, you come here every single day. I, It's, you know, uh, if you want to check out my stuff, it's plug into your podcast app. Uh, go for good iron radio if you want to have more of a a light-hearted college football experience i'll say you can go to parent Spare. it's myself k fans justin guard the sideline reporter for minnesota and then star tribune columnist chip scoggins and we just have a, a grand old time talking some college football and then just being a 30 40 and 50 year old guy kind of figuring out our way through 
or figuring out our way through life is what I'll say. And if you want to read what I write, you can check out Go for Illustrated. A lot of the stuff on there is free. But if you want to get behind the paywall, it's a dollar for your first month. And after that, you get Paramount Plus. And my sources tell me Big Ten sports are coming to Paramount Plus as early as this fall. So if you want to make sure you can watch your Gophers and you want to support a local guy that tries his best to Gophers coverage, join Gopher Illustrated today. Absolutely. If you haven't yet, you absolutely need to jump onto all of that. Ryan Burns is one of the best out there, if not the best when it comes to gopher coverage, in my opinion. And I'm saying that as I covered gopher sports. So if that doesn't speak it enough for you, I don't know what will. But that's going to wrap for us on today's show. I'll see you again tomorrow. Row the boats. Guy, you mind. So cool.